Yeah, it's the last thing everybody wants. I'm not ready to go. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daryl. And I'm Petros. And welcome to episode eight of Getting Defoe You. From Heaven's Gate to the present day, join us as we get to know Willem Defoe in this dedicated Defoe podcast. So here we are, episode eight. We are, we're closer to the end now than we've ever been. The end is in sight, but we've still got some delightful episodes for you as well. No, none less than the one we've got right today. The last thing he wanted, a Netflix original, which, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into our thoughts on the episode as well. <laughs> but um, this, is, this is one where, you know, the easy joke is to say, well, the title of the film is what you thought. And it's the easy joke because it's the joke I will make again and again and again. Because a little, little peek behind the curtain, I had to watch this one twice. You know, I, I will restrain my thoughts at this early stage in just this little intro portion here. But, you know, Petros, on a brighter note, how have you been? What have you been up to? Let's hear all about uh, what's been going on on your side of things as well. I've been great because I only had to watch this film once, Daryl. So I'm, I'm, absolutely, well. I'm absolutely beaming with excitement. And we, yeah, we're joined by a fantastic guest. Sean Alexander from the Civico Road to Avatar podcast to discuss this film, which kind of took away from some of the the rockiness of this of, of this chat. But yeah. it's, it's interesting seeing, like I mentioned in the outro for last week's episode, that the connections that we're starting to see throughout these films uh, that we are picking somewhat at random. Another 1984 set Reagan era drama. In, yeah, how different from the heady highs of To Live and Die in LA we are with the last thing he wanted. And I feel bad blowing our load in, in the intro, telling telling the people what we kind of think about this film. But you're best to know, guys. And if you've seen this film, you know what you're in for. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much that, obviously. We'll, we'll get into the episode for the meat and potatoes of, uh, of this movie and the breakdown of this one. But just prior to that... We've got a few little things to plug, a few socials to get out of the way at the top of things here. So, Petros, if you'd be so kind, where can the people find us on the interwebs and all that good business as well? So, seeing as social media is ever-changing, uh, you'll be able to find us on any of those. One, the one trusty handle, which is Pod. so that is Twitter x as it's now called instagram tiktok and freds all on there or you can drop us an email and uh, what we would like to do is we're kind of getting into these last three episodes of the show is we want to hear your questions we want to do a nice mailbag episode in the interim between seasons so give us a question whether it's what director would you like to see willem defoe work with in the future there's one for free for you guys uh, something like that something along those lines something silly something fun and uh yeah drop that to the email address which is defoeupod at gmail.com again that is defoeupod at gmail.com for all your thoughts feelings emotions and questions absolutely so as we get to know willem defoe we want to get to know you the dear listener as well and get to know us get Pretty to know nice. you and vice versa like the bloody chuckle brothers as we go along in this uh, crazy thing we call the defoe podcast as well but with that said it's time to get into episode eight we've got a banger coming up for you so enjoy it we'll see you on the other side see you in a bit Getting to know you, getting to know all about 
Mount Willem Getting to like you by watching all your films So this week we are taking a look at the 2020 political thriller The Last Thing He Wanted Defoe plays Dick McMahon, the father of a journalist with ties to a story she is investigating. Now, helping us get to know Defoe a little better this week and see if this movie is the first thing we need or the last things on our mind is the host of this Sivaco Road to Avatar podcast, Sean Alexander. Sean, thank you very, very much for joining us today. How the devil are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm having a having a lovely evening, you know, just, you know, reminiscing, thinking about this film, you know, just... It's, it's about to get a lot worse. We're going to talk about this film for a considerable amount of time. <laughs> Remember this feeling, Sean. <laughs> Remember how optimistic you felt. I, it's I all do, downhill from here. I have spiked my own lemonade tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into the last thing he wanted... Uh, we always like to kick off, especially with new guests on Getting Defoe You, with a little bit of Defoe history. So, Sean, what we're interested in knowing, what we want to know, is your Defoe history. Now, do you recall, for example, your first Willem Defoe film? Do you know how many you might have seen? What are your general views on the man that we are dedicating years of our lives to? Um, so definitely for me, the first one, and I and I know this is probably coming up with everyone, is that I re- remember seeing Spider-Man first. Ding, ding, ding! <laughs> uh, so I, it, was it 2002 it came out? Or, I believe so. Yeah. 2002, yeah. So I was 10, and so I'm at that age where it's like, you have to, to see it. I didn't see it in the cinema. I remember I saw it at home. So... Possibly the first cinema film I saw of Defoe would have been Finding Nemo. Good choice. Which, you know, that's pretty that's pretty good. Uh, I feel like you don't get the full Defoe experience from that, but you get a little you get a little flavour of it. Yeah, it's it's a a delightful little film, Finding Nemo, and one that you always you kind of forget that Defoe's a fish in that film. He comes along in the fish tank, you're like, that's Willem Defoe, that is. <laughs> little but- escape artist fish. <laughs> They did make a fish look incredibly like him somehow. Yeah. yeah. He gives off the aura of Defoe. <laughs> That's the Pixar magic, Veiji. Yeah. They, <laughs> they, they can make a fish look like a man who can fuck. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, <laughs> they've, done the, they've done the impossible. Hats off to them. I mean, you say that. I've definitely seen people talk about that online being like, yeah, I kind of want to fuck the, that one fish. What a fuck girl. <laughs> <laughs> look, people have been trying to fuck Disney characters for years. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, Sexual Awakening is Robin Hood. Who's Sexual yeah, Awakening is Gil? <laughs> well, because the, the, new, the new round of that is everyone with Zootopia, right? Yeah, yeah, foxes. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, think, I think that's maybe a market we need to try and tap into, the, uh, the fish fuck. Fish fucking market. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we've really got a chance of selling the podcast down there. So you... You give me a creature that Willem Dafoe could morph into and we'll make it out. We'll make you fuck that creature. <laughs> Don't just let your dreams be dreams, people. If you believe you will achieve and if you want to fuck a Dafoe fish, we're going to um, we're gonna take you on that ride with us on the Dafoe commotion train. How- because on a lot of stops. 
Are, are any of you good at like uh, animation or drawing at all? Maybe this is how we like make the big bucks. This is like this is the way we win. We've been trying this out on the podcast, and listeners may be realizing when we're not too au on a film or up on it, we are coming up with get quick rich schemes of uh, how we can win so i think our new one is we can make we can make gill i don't know what, what would it be like, an, an, an any porn i don't know what that is it's it's always that stuff you see on a sidebar on a porn site and you're always terrified of do you know what i mean it's like <laughs> lois and stewie griffin you're like not for me doesn't matter if it's animated no, that, that, that real twisted stuff yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i feel like as well because you, you i'm now thinking like you know the animal series of books <laughs> and it's just willem dafoe just turning into various different creatures <laughs> to animorphs yes that's uh god if if dafoe can morph it you can fuck it that's there that's you go the that's... maybe that's the thing like you know hashtag not an ad um if we start buying advertising space on like porn hub x hamster i'm just saying look I don't agree with AI, you know, being taken over, but I could use some AI work to, you know, to, we could make this happen. I don't have to look at it then. I could just be like, AI, you sort it out, you publish it. I never have to think about it. And it just rakes in the money for me. <laughs> yeah, this is it. This is a, this is what white men podcasting is all about, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> get quick rich scheme. I think that's I think that's what yeah. podcasting is for a lot of white men, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> this generation's only fools and horses. <laughs> <laughs> Once upon a time, Del Boy fell through the bar. In our version, he fucks a fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, that's what I call that's what I call a hot start to the episode. <laughs> Crikey. So, so what was the second Willem Dafoe film you would have seen in the cinema? Or, or Did either of those films leave a lasting impression on you, Sean? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, you know, Finding Nemo definitely left an impression. As um, <laughs> now. It, it's, it's interesting because I don't particularly remember seeing another one like really vividly in the cinema for him. But then I got like really into films around like 2015 or something like that I was that's when I st- sort of got, got really heavily into it and I remember one of the first ones being like the Florida Project mm-hmm. and mm. that was when I sort of like was like oh yeah this is like the next level up for me sort of thing for him yeah so going from finding Nemo and learning some things about yourself to the Florida Project from F film to F film there's a uh, a one letter trajectory of Defoe there and I you know what <laughs> I really appreciate it yeah, but we've said it before on the podcast. We'll say it again. I think between Spider-Man and Platoon uh, is what we're quickly learning. There are a lot of people's entry points into the folk. Um, so you are very much in good company there. Now, as ever uh, we do on the podcast, we come to the point where it is time, my favorite point of the episodes, to hand to you, Petros, for a little thing we call the de facts and the de figures of the last thing he wanted. Oh, have I got some de facts and de figures for you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the last thing he wanted is directed by D. Reese, written by D. Reese, along with Marco Villalobos, based on a novel of the same title, the last thing he wanted, by Joan Didion. 
The film stars Anne Hathaway, Ben Affleck, Rosie Perez, Toby Jones, and our boy playing Dick McMahon and Willem Dafoe. Uh, The film was released at the Sundance Film Festival on the 27th of January 2020 before getting shat out on Netflix just uh, a, a mere month later on the 21st of February. The budget for this film is apparently $100 million. I'm going to need you to fuck off, Petros. I'm going to need you to fuck right off right now. (laughs) According to Wikipedia, uh, it is $100 million. The box office return, well, because this is a Netflix exclusive, there is no box office return. This film currently holds a 4.3 out of 10 on IMDb, a 5% on Rotten Tomatoes based off of 56 reviews, an audience score of 13% with over 250 reviews and a critic consensus of it'll be the last thing the viewers want too. Our first Willem Dafoe sighting is at 14 minutes and 7 seconds where we hear him over the phone and then we see, see him not even a minute later at 14 minutes and 54 seconds in person as he's eating dry cereal in a bar. And his first line in this film is, pardon my using your time. I've been trying to call your mother and that asshole she lives with refuses to put her on the line. And that is the defects and the figures. Delightful as ever. So a more, uh, more sort of broad synopsis. We have Anne Hathaway starring as a conflicted journalist in the 1980s who must broker an arms dealer for her ailing father. Uh, now then, Sean, with all that said and done, uh, we have to ask, in terms of the last thing he wanted, uh, was this the first time that you saw this film for this podcast? And obviously we will get into it as the episode goes along, but uh, what were your first impressions of the last thing he wanted as well. So this was the first time I had seen it. I remember there being kind of discussion around it. And I, I like the director. I like Doris. I think Mudbound's fantastic. And I was kind of interested in seeing it because I, I like, you know, I like Halfway. I like a half flick. I like Defoe. And then I just never got round to it because I saw that 5% on Rotten Tomatoes and I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I want to put myself through that. I hadn't realised it only took a, like a month between it going at, at Sundance and it actually releasing on Netflix. That's never a good sign. Mm. <laughs> I feel like um, COVID might have been the best thing that could have happened for this film. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know. I was going to say, so- yeah, because it like came out like the month beforehand and I guess just everyone just didn't bother to talk about it <laughs> which is which is a, a real horrible which is really like bad for it right because there's so much stuff that because of netflix and being on streamers absolutely went gangbusters like you think like you think now it feels like a, a distant memory like tiger king kind of came out just just before we all got shut in our houses imagine this was like a, an early lockdown hit everyone's going well that's thing you bloody wanted he's got he's got, he's got uh, and halfway with one boob Come on! <laughs> yeah, it's oh man, R.I.P. the Tiger King. I miss you every day. <laughs> I feel like there's that one quote in the Tiger King that kind of like 
sums up my relationship with this movie because I've watched it twice. And there's a bit, I don't remember the episode, but uh, that Joe Exotic is saying one of his many lines, his many sort of gifable, memeable lines. And he's like, I called you for help twice. No, no help. Where are you? No, fuck you. No, nothing. And that's how I feel about <laughs> no more. <laughs> Like like this film has just told me to go fuck myself. I had some higher hopes for this film, I don't mind saying, you know. Pretty pretty stellar cast, as we said, Affleck, Hathaway, Defoe, you know, headlining this thing. And you know, I feel that we've kind of got to address the elephant in the room on this one pretty early on before we try to start make sense of it a bit more. But when you read the reviews of this, and if you do watch the film, then you'll probably know what I'm talking about. But Every review I read very quickly echoed what I thought about this on no less than two occasions in that no one knows what the fuck happened in this movie, (laughs) right? (laughs) Twin Peaks makes more sense than this. (laughs) Inception makes more sense like this. It's kind of baffling. When I started watching this film, I could very quickly feel my brain going like, fucking just hold on, just retain as much information as you can. This is going to be a lot. And then I don't, this is, this is just unnecessarily baffling Mm. from the get go. Uh, Now, now we chatted a little bit sort of before we started recording, but um, obviously I'll I'll throw this to you first, Sean, as the guest here. Did you, dare I ask, Dare I ask the question, and I think I know what the the consensus of answers is going to be here. Did you understand this film? I'll be honest, there was bits where I was like, it it felt like they'd forgotten which route they were taking with the movie. Like, I honestly don't really understand what the through lines meant to be meant to be <laughs> because it it feels like it starts off as one entirely different movie. And by the end, it's so wildly different. Yeah. I want to address, like, particularly Ben Affleck's character just uh, seems to change midway through the movie. Mm. Because I, at the start, I thought he was just, like, some sort of political figure. But then he just turns into, like, an assassin at the end. Yeah. He, you know, of course, public figure turned, turned assassin is classic, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, how did I not see it coming, you know? <laughs> I think we have to address the fact that his name is inexplicable. His character's name is inexplicably called uh, Treat Morrison. Yeah. Like, even by standards of, like, the, the 80s of naming your child uh, in American names, who the fuck is calling their child Treat? Um, well, there, 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 there is the recently deceased Treat Williams uh, as well. So, so it is, it is a common name of two, I guess, in this case. Well, <laughs> well if, if we're saying that two names are common now, two notable treats, because I didn't think this film was a treat. Um, <laughs> but this, this was kind of just like the thing for it. It, 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 it feels like I don't know. With the name power on this, and they had um, D. Reese, who was sort of coming off uh, Mudbound, I believe, from 2017. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of momentum and press from Mudbound as well. And then it kind of just feels like that momentum kind of hit a brick wall there. It feels like Netflix had some ambition for this to be a real something. And then everyone comes out of it like, uh, uh. What I think your film that because like the first bit of trivia you read about this on imdb is ben affleck replaced 
Nicolas Cage for this film. Oh, no. So you've got to think, this is late... Oh, man. Late 2000 and not... Late, late like, 2010s Nicolas Cage. This is not when he's, like... Do you know what I mean? This is around the same time he's doing, like, a score to settle and some, some pretty ropey, like, affairs. Yeah. I... F- I don't know about I don't know that I think that 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 sends alarm bells for me straight away do you know what I mean and the fact if Cage is going something's a bit like something's a bit stinky about this script I'm stepping away (laughs) I mean the the hairbaggers question and you know I'll say me and Petros you may may or may not know a little bit uh, biased on the subject of Cage here for better or worse had Nicolas Cage been in this movie Instead of Ben Affleck, Sean, do you think that could have been enough to turn this ship around? And tell me why the answer is yes. I mean, of course it's a yes. Um, (laughs) And that's not to say, I I don't think Ben Affleck's awful, but obviously Nicolas Cage in this film just completely changes the way you read it as well. Because (laughs) then it it suddenly becomes, you're then leaning into this sort of like absurdness of no one understanding what's going on. And you can get away with the fact that Nicolas Cage halfway through turns into an assassin. Yeah, I think I'd I think I'd be so forgiving of this film um, if Nicolas Cage had the politician to lover to assassin through line who sometimes <laughs> talks about plots while using the very ham-fisted metaphor of eating a pie. I I think it would have made it even more confusing because I was confused when Ben Affleck seduces Anne Hathaway. If Nicolas Cage did it, and I'm like, Nicolas Cage is an attractive man, but I would have just been like, I don't, like, what is going on here? Like, how has this transpired? Do you know what I mean? Like, he kind of, he is normally, like, in a lot of stuff, like, and just fairly recently to, to when this film would have come out, is in Dog Eat Dog, where he's kind of in a cohort with Willem Dafoe. So to then be in a film where he is playing the love interest to Willem Dafoe's daughter, it would just kind of boggle my fucking mind, I reckon. <laughs> The uh, the two streams they should never cross. <laughs> I'm trying to think what what. Assuming this was probably would have been filmed around what 2019. Mm. Um. So Cage was would have been doing like yeah, as you said, like Jesus, Running with the Devil, Kill Chain, Primal, Grand Isle. I part of me part of me wants to think that maybe Cage turned this down so we could do jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> One of the great films of the 2020s, or maybe even The Crude's New Age, both from 2020 as well. Except that that's kind of, I think that's the most, probably the most notable bit of trivia about the film. The the other one is, you know, apparently it's one of the lowest rated films on Netflix. I'd be interested to see what what's in that list. Um, and we've, we've brought them up um, sort of elsewhere on the podcast. We don't always like bringing them up um but Anne Hathaway was nominated for worst actress at the 2021 Razzies um now so without seeing who else was nominated and, and again I don't really like because it's it's not the nicest sort of awards in the world but uh would you have said Sean for you like Anne Hathaway's performance do you think it was uh and, and heaven forbid I have to ask but do you think her performance was uh Razzie worthy in this I don't think it's that bad but then i I feel like it's maybe just a, a reaction to the fact that the movie itself struggles and people don't understand. I feel like no one understands it enough to be able to judge if her performance is any good as well. 
because she's sort of like just trying to hold on to anything and I, I like her as an actress but she has so little to work with it feels like in this she's very much just like she's doing like a, a dot to dot of like traveling around tr- meeting various people having like a quick conversation with them and then leaving again <laughs> yeah it's um it felt like they wanted to do and i don't know if this is kind of just a trope of the you know the, the journalist narrator thing it it kind of felt at points like they wanted to do uh, like a bit more give it like quite an, an edge like a hard edge more of like a hard-boiled kind of thing and I, I don't know if i ever really bought that about her character yeah you need more than just like she smokes a couple of cigs to be like do you know what I mean? she's a, a fucking under stress man and then like when, when you start adding in I, I just didn't get any of the of the kind of character development and what she was what she was trying to achieve and what what i found really weird about this is reading the wikipedia like synopsis afterwards it says eleanor reluctantly agrees to meet her absentee father i'm pretty sure in the film he calls her and she just meets him immediately there's no like reluctance to it at all (laughs) she just immediately rocks up as like hey what's up yeah 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 (laughs) if by reluctant you sort of mean she says the line I can't, I'm working. 5.30! And then <laughs> in the next shop, she's at a bar with Willem Dafoe. I think it's kind of one of these things as well where the decision-making of the characters is really confusing. Because they, they do have, like, you know, a kind of, like, emotional meeting at the bar. Because I think she and the audience, you quickly sort of figure out that uh, Dick McMahon... And I'm sorry, Dick McMahon, that's great. What a name. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> like... If if she wasn't going to be the hardball detective in another life, Willem Dafoe, Dick McMahon. I want to see it. the Dick McMahon movie. Come on, like that's yeah. all, that's yeah. such a waste that you're not given like that as a title for a movie in itself. This globe-trotting arms dealer, Dick McMahon. Hey, it's Dick McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> Dick McMahon in the case of the uh, the the guns. D- D- Dick McMahon in the Dial of Destiny. Yes, fucking play. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Dick McMahon and the fuckable fish. Now there's <laughs> there's the fucking film right there. <laughs> It, it it did feel like there was um sort of a, a lot more to be done with Dick McMahon. Yeah, I definitely wanted to see more with Dick McMahon. I liked the scenes where he were on where he was on the screen. It did feel like there was a slight weight there, which isn't a lot, sort of considering what this film does. But they have that moment where sort of you and the audience, well, I should say Anne Hathaway's character and the audience, sort of figure out that he's got a dementia because he obviously he's forgotten that he's wife ex-wife has sort of passed away some time ago and then it's like oh like dad like you like you've forgotten again like i've already told you this and then he kind of just like bounds straight into talking about like the big deal which i think one of the the the, as i was saying about character decisions he sort of says like look i've got a big deal coming on it's like the big deal you don't really know if he's talking about like human trafficking or what at this point um or what this deal is but then she's very, considering how much of a hard-boiled reporter she is, she's very quick to say yes to this deal. Because I assume the idea is that, oh, this deal might just conveniently happen to fit back into the story I've been investigating about uh, the US, the USA's ties into international arm deals. But it's, I don't know, like, it just doesn't seem to, she's, 
it feels like the film wants me to think that she's smarter than that. And either I'm not convinced. Uh, Sean, like, I mean, did you agree with her decision just to get on a, a plane somewhere and watch a dog explode? <laughs> it, it, it's honestly like a really confusing one for me because the the beginning of the movie it's very much like she's a morally like very pure person she's like i'm doing a very good thing and the government don't agree with me because i'm exposing them for these things and then immediately she just gets thrown into like oh i'm just traffic <laughs> i'm just like smuggling drugs now immediately and she's just kind of okay with it I, and it doesn't and I know there must be some sort of like they they would like try to suggest she's like oh you know because I'm doing this for the story. It doesn't seem that she's doing it for the story at any point. Like there's no like yeah. going back to her like writing some notes down or anything. Really, she she just seems to be like yeah I'm just I'm out here I'm gonna shoot a guy I'm gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna get myself as deeply involved with this as possible and not care about the consequences. <laughs> <laughs> it it feels like so the book of this is 227 pages it feels like the middle 100 pages or so of that book are fucking missing do you know what i mean they've gone like it's like, like every they've gone do you know what? we're adapt every other page the pages where she is kind of like doing her notes or, or where decisions are made for what is going to happen next yeah. are just annexed from the whole thing it's it's so confusing like why yeah like you're saying there sean why is she now here like i, I don't she gets her camera out at one point right and then like <laughs> just just like which is a dumb move itself it's like why are you in some kind of militia camp taking photos of a load of geezers playing football and stuff like that and they like they're all like below. Do you know what I mean? Start to surround her and stuff. It's like, get the fuck out. What are you doing? Like, yeah, it's really, it's just a very, very strange thing. I, I sort of read, and like a little peek behind my curtain in terms of this sort of episode as well. As we speak, I've got five different tabs up about the last thing he wanted explained, ending plot explained, what happened in the last thing he wanted. And I have combed through these time and time again in the build up to the record today. And still, and still, I cannot tell you why anything happened in this film. Um, <laughs> it's like, I found sort of one article, I believe it was a an article with decider.com. Mm. Uh, it seems to be that you, the general consensus is that they've taken a few liberties with the book. So without reading the book, I don't know if that would make things make a little bit more sense, but it does seem that you need to have some kind of understanding of US Central American relations in the early to mid 1980s and what the intervention of the US was in Central America during the Cold War um, and a lot of Wikipedia articles to sort of truly understand what is going on there but let's assume that you're you know just a uh, Tom, Dick and Harry, Tom, Dick and Jane, just like we all are here. And you haven't, and you don't have any of those things because you you didn't decide to, you know, give your life to history and you went to university and graduated with a defunct degree and your course got cancelled, um, like some of us did. Um, and let's just assume that you're a silly, silly goose like me. <laughs> let's just assume that you watch this movie twice like me and let's just assume that on the second time you try to follow along with the film along with the notes you wrote the first time round 
and distressingly for yourself at 12 o'clock the night before hours before recording you realize none of your notes make sense and then you find yourself recording a podcast episode so mentally that's where i am in terms of watching this film and yet there's still, <laughs> there's still so much about this that just doesn't make sense. Now, obviously, I don't want to drop turds too hard on the film, you know, around about this point here. I will say one one element of the film that I did enjoy was um, uh, Eddie Gathegi, who plays Jones. I like Eddie. He was a nice, comforting presence in this. There was that whole, like, is he on side or a double agent? Is he good or bad kind of thing? I think he was one of the, the film's few attempts to try and bring some sense into this senseless world. Mm. Um, as it, you, so Sean, yourself first. Uh, when Jones sort of turns up, did you feel, did you, like me, you feel a little bit of relief that, okay, we're getting, we're getting maybe some tidbits of intrigue here? Yeah, it, it felt every so often... It's interesting because, like, we did keep meeting like random characters along the way who some would appear and stick around for a little while. I'm, I'm glad his one did for a little bit at least. Um, but it was just some who were there for one scene and then disappeared. Like Toby Jones rocks up for the last like <laughs> ten minutes. Toby Jones, as like, just, <laughs> I, I think he's the same character from Jurassic World that he played. Possibly <laughs> this sort of like arms dealer who's like, I'm just, a, I'm just gonna be off in recl- a recluse. I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a, I'm a little bit camp, and we're gonna have fun on my private island. What's that? that he's got that great line, isn't he? He's like, I've got, a, I've got, a, I've got a high tolerance, uh, like yeah, threshold for pleasure. It's like, all right, I, I get it. You like, you like being, you like being tied up, slapped about, and like tickled, tickled by, tickled by these fellas you're inviting in. We get, we get it, Toby Jones. You, he's basically saying, I will put up with conflict and war for a good old dickin. You gotta go hats off to the man. <laughs> Listen, everyone has a price. <laughs> okay. We all we all have a price to overlook atrocities. Toby Jones, you know, to sidetrack to Toby Jones, my main sort of note there, and again, I think you sort of surmise it perfectly there, Sean, is like there's just a lot of characters that kind of get introduced and they don't have like a long purpose or longevity in the in the grand scheme of the film. My main note was I don't understand why Toby Jones is in this movie. That was such like, and he's in like, what, what is it, like the last 20, 25 minutes it, of the film as well? And he's just there because he's like, hey, you can shack up at my place for a bit. But there's like no really reference to anything else that's happened, if I'm honest. Or certainly nothing that really meant anything. Because, you know, by oh. the end of it, I'm sort of just sitting there like, so, so he was just there for accommodation purposes. Like he's an Airbnb. <laughs> I was I was so confused because the conversation that Anne Hathaway's character had with Ben Affleck, I'm pretty sure he said like tomorrow you're you're like going, and then all of a sudden she's working as a cleaner at Toby Jones's like shanty Airbnb. I was like, what is? What is going? This is too late in the day to be putting in this subplot of this, whatever this is. Do you know what I mean? It's like what? Mm. Yeah, it's again. This comes back to sort of reading these articles so she's she's a reporter i think it's the atlantic post and at the start she's in el salvador covering uh, a civil war and then one of the factions sort of attacks their sort of base of operations then they leave for a few years 
And then years later, she's very eager to get back and keep covering the story because she's done a lot of legwork. But the, what is it, those those schmucks on Capitol Hill sort of figure out that she's a little bit uncomfortably close to the truth of what's going on. So she gets muscled out onto the campaign trail. And then conveniently, her ailing father sells guns, maybe or maybe not to the people who she's investigating. And then she gets on a plane, looks at some bombs. She's supposed to get a payout or something, but it's a box of cocaine. Uh, a dog blows up. Then she meets uh, Eddie Gathegi in some building in the middle of nowhere. And then she drives off. And then other things happen. And people keep dying. And then Ben Affleck turns up and he just goes, and just fucking breathes. Um, <laughs> I mean, like I said, I, I don't, I don't have like a bone to pick with Ben Affleck, but it, it kind of felt like he was sleepwalking his way through this movie. One hundred percent. I mean, is this during like Ben Affleck's like worst part of his time, where he's like, I just, I'm just done with all movies because of the Justice League stuff. <laughs> this is him at the point where he's like, do you know what? I've got a serious Dunkin' Donuts habit. I just oh, need a bit of extra cash. To yeah, be get, to be get that, that and cigarettes. Do you know what I mean the man loves the man loves a little ciggy and a Dunkin' Donut? He's like that, that habit's got to be. This is before he he, he got back with J Lo, right? So this yeah. is, this has got to be his, his flop era. Well, this will be when he when he's going out with uh, Anna De Armas. So not too much of a flop. Hi <sighs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I. Th- I think to like some of his performance, you know, that sort of, uh, that really ingrained picture of like him standing outside that front door, just with that sort of cigarette down by his like waist. And he's just looking at going, yeah. Like imagine that picture, but channeled into a performance. Um, and that is really sort of what you get here. And I think to go back to it as well, the whole, I think he, in in his own way, is kind of a double agent in this uh, because Anne Hathaway's character keeps getting close to sort of these uh, Republicans who are sort of campaigning for a Reagan re-election. Um, and then he is... Then for some reason, they decide that she's public enemy number one and they sort of have to get her away from this story. So he becomes... I don't know. I don't know what he is, but then... Is he like a fixer? Is he like a kind of like advisor fixer? Because I think he's tasked with the job of just who is this woman? Like give give us ev- all, all the details we could possibly like muster and like and then, and then I don't know. Is he is he supposed to be on a fact finding mission when he goes to um, Antigua and fucks her? I don't I don't quite understand. Like, <laughs> That's a lot of facts he's finding, man. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also like. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of like his if if I'm in this character's shoes and I've been just told, Oh, can you just check on this journalist, see what see what her deal is? And you get to Antigua and then find out she's now like running a running a drug cartel or something like that. Like you're gonna be like, Well, what happened? I've missed something here. Can someone <laughs> film me? Like no wonder that he's look looks so confused because <laughs> he's just rocking up and he's like missed half the story. That's how I felt every five minutes. Like, I think he's... I would imagine his report as well would, like, skip over the fact that she's now, like, an arms dealer and be like, you wouldn't believe it, she's got one tit. 
Like he's he, he, he's he's looking at all of the wrong things. Do you know what I mean? He's not looking at the fact that like, oh yeah, like uh, her dad. Yep, he he's got links to being an arms dealer. Or like her, her dad is just like kind of sell. He's like the Dell boy of kind of dodgy de- like dodgy dodgy dealings, right? Because he's like arms, drugs, whatever he 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 can get he can get his hands on. But I, this is it just feels sloppy that there's no records of her dad like having dodgy dealings and the fact that she's just stepped into his shoes i don't know it's like i kind of get it are they just are they trying to scapegoat her but at the same time it's like by the time you get to the end of it it's like do do any of us fucking care or know what is going on no it's like well i was just looking back through my notes and treats affleck's character is meant to be like the the secretary of state now i don't know the the ins and outs of what it is the Secretary of State does. But I don't think it's this. You know, g- g- call me outrageous if you like. But he, obviously... He's no, going- no, 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 he, he's not. He is he is the ambassador at large. Uh, what that means is, like, even more confusing. Ambassador at large. That sounds like someone's role in a rap group. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think the Secretary of State is the man who she tries to question and the one who basically tasks Ben Affleck to to find out about her. Oh, maybe. Does it matter? Does it matter, though? I don't... (laughs) This is the thing. I just don't know if it matters anymore. (laughs) I've gone insane. (laughs) But he... And there's kind of a... You know, we sort of bring it up as just like... A, a weird, like a strange character detail, but kind of the fact that like her character and Hathaway's character is like a breast cancer survivor as well, which is like you know absolutely fine. But I don't know. Am, am I wrong in this? And like it kind of it had no bearing on her character that was made pre- prevalent anyway. If there was kind of something, like, oh, because I've survived this, it's maybe a more determined journalist or something. Like okay, yeah, cool. I, I can I can see the link there, but it's kind of just. I don't know, just just a thing that they threw in there? I don't really know. Yeah, like, I feel like it was during this... I, I remember there was sort of like an era where, like, characters were just given, like, very specific background, like, backstory elements, like, something like that. And it was just to be like, hey, look, this person's got, like, is a bit different. You know, this is their character trait. And it, mm. it does seem weird, and also does like the whole story of her having a daughter, right? And yeah, that... which is which is like handled so weirdly. Um, <laughs> but I, I like I kind of get the thing of just like a character being a breast cancer survivor and it not having any like bearing on the plot if it is a good film and like makes sense. Do you know what I mean? It just, it just happens yeah. to be like it doesn't have to be like because uh, I imagine for a lot of people just the representation of seeing someone who is also a breast cancer survivor on screen and going through something else is like oh it's so great that it's not like that is mm. the story all the time. But where this film falls down is you throw in a detail like that into something that is already quite convoluted and confusing. You're like, is this supposed to have some relevance that they forgot to mention? It just adds to the confusion of it, right? Of the already like the kind of trifle of confusion that we're already kind of put under. I mean, again, like I'm not mad about it. Don't get me wrong, but it just it just felt like between that and like the daughter storyline as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kind of just felt like they were 
trying to throw i don't know more layers and like stakes for her character like if it had some logical tie back to her character mm-hmm. or the film then you know under under a better film something like that could be you know overlooked i think um but it was just i don't know odds and then all, all her daughter was really given to do is that she's at a boarding school and then one day she doesn't get called anymore <laughs> like that's that's it that's the entire storyline for that bit <laughs> yeah yeah there wasn't it was just these these sort of extraneous things that just kind of have no bearing and the film doesn't do a good enough job to make you care about these other elements of her life and obviously by the time the film ends you just don't really care about any of that as well and there was sort of you know i apologize to how sort of scattershot this all is there was another thing that i sort of completely brushed over in my notes when l and athway's character goes to speak with jones uh, and this is kind of the first name drop of someone who is i'm gonna use big air quotes and question marks here important she drops the name of max epperson and then there's this, this whole kind of subplot thing of um who is max epperson this is a name that's been given by uh, to her by her dad to say that you know just tell these people that you know who Max Epperson is, <laughs> um, and then you know it's kind of planted throughout the film. Oh, Max Epperson, I know Max Epperson, and then by the end of the film, we still don't know who Max Epperson is, and he isn't a real man. He's just someone else. Bob Weir, right? Is that like yeah? Rosie Perez try and explain it at one point is she is there something about like somebody says like Bob Weir or he's there like he's basically like the last person like if you if Bob Weir turns up you know that your card is marked and that's kind of like he's like the harbinger of death almost yeah so they try to look into who Max Epperson is and they say like right Max Epperson doesn't exist but there's this other guy called Bob Weir who just happens to be at locations before these big political events and disasters go down. But it doesn't really explain who he is. And again, I've seen this twice. I cannot tell you why Bob Weir equals danger. <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense. Uh, like With this whole sort of Epperson, Bob Weir, I don't know, C-plot, D-plot, Z plot. Uh, Sean, did it? Did could you crack the enigma that was the Epperson code? I'll, I'll be. I'll be honest. I thought my understanding of it is so bad that at some point I was like, "Oh, so Ben Affleck's gonna be him, right? Like that's that's the twist, right?" And I thought that would have been actually kind of more interesting, really, if it was like, "Oh, he just rocked up and it was him the whole time." It, it, it's a stupid twist, but it would have been. Made a made me maybe made a bit more sense. One hundred percent. It would have. I mean, it would have made any kind of sense, but it didn't make any sense. And again, I'm looking through sort of one of these like articles now. It's like Bob Weir is Max Epperson. Max Epperson is Bob Weir. This guy called Bob Weir, who we are introduced to, he turns up. I think he turns up at the hotel mm-hmm. with Toby Jones. Uh, she's on the beach at the time she sees him like from a couple miles away and just like legs it yeah and it's really like that that that's really confusing as well because like she all of a sudden has this like flashback (laughs) to her like 
as a as a, as a teenager and like Bob Weir was friends with her dad and stuff like that. And it's just we're getting into the final moments of this film, and instead of answering questions, we're being presented with more questions. This is not how things should be done. It's it's an it's an absolute catastrophe. <laughs> Um, can I can I ask? I I'm trying to remember. This is this is how poorly I'm remembering it now. Come on, Sean. That's, this is a safe space. I know. I know. <laughs> Do they just kill off Dick off screen? <laughs> is he dead? Does he die at some point? Yeah, but that's yeah. what I'm, I'm confused about. Is he gets moved to hospital or something? But I just assumed that he died. <laughs> Well, it says on Wikipedia, that's the thing, I read through the Wikipedia and it says that she's upset because she's found out about her dad dying and that's why she <laughs> sleeps with Treat, Treat Morrison. I was like, is it? I thought, I thought she was confused about the daughter thing. She's like, she's like oh, I've kind of fucked it all up with my daughter. That, like, I'm just living on the road and doing all this stuff. Yeah, what happened to Dick? Ain't that a question for our times. <laughs> um, <laughs> is Dick dead? <laughs> I think Dick's dead. I think Dick's but dead. To, to me, the most interesting element was that sort of like father-daughter relationship and her like taking over the business in a way. And it to never come back to him, aside from like a couple of shots of him in the hospital. That, and yeah, it feels like there could have been so much more done with that element of it. And I feel like that would have been an interesting way to explore it a bit more. It's a little bit more interesting than Anne Hathaway runs around... The tropical islands having and get shot at every so often it's an interesting premise right and it's almost like documentary style premise where like it starts off like an uh, a journalist like investigating one thing and then i because i thought that's what it was going to go like all of a sudden she'll realize oh there's something really fascinating and i guess it is kind of that there's something fascinating going on with my dad you know, like when you like a, you watch a documentary and all of a sudden it's like halfway through, they go, oh, fuck, the documentary, we thought it was about this. Now it's, it's actually about this thing instead. And but, but then it's just like, oh, yeah, I can get inside of this story I'm trying to crack. But I think the problem is well, we, the audience, don't know what the story is that you were trying to crack in the first place, apart from like is there the, the Contras and the, the government, are they in each other's pockets? I don't know. I feel like you need, like you said earlier, Darryl, you need a history degree or at least like some detailed knowledge of those conflicts to to understand it. And I think an episode, a film that I think weirdly is the kind of flip side of the coin of this that we've covered in this season is Clear and Present Danger that kind of is, is a lot more yeah. clear cut as to what the fuck is going on and has this kind of Central American conflict stuff and the, the, the government and I think with that even if you don't know about that stuff it does spoon feed a lot of, of, of it for you it's just still fun around it I think this film forgets to just I don't know uh, yeah be enjoyable or be ch- challenging like in a in a good way because this is challenging in like a, do you know what I mean? You you end up like Charlie in that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, just trying to put all the fucking pin book, all, yeah, all, the, all the pins on the board and all the string to try and figure out what the fuck is going on. Yeah, we're trying to figure out who this film's fucking Pepe Silver Bob Weir is. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering as well. Um, so I, I watched a little video of um, Doris talking about the making of it. So obviously it's set in the 80s, but she said she wanted it to have like the 70s sort of like thriller 
you know, and I'm, I'm assuming it's films like The Parallax View and things like that, that kind of espionage sort of thing going on. Did you guys think it had that <laughs> that much? Or was it just like a thematically or like film style, it had that look to it? I didn't realise till about half hour in that it was even period set. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think outside of just when I saw the number like, oh, Reagan 84 campaign, I was like, Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah that, that, that makes a bit more sense in terms of the context of what what this film is. Um, I don't think I really picked up on a certain but like, vibe with this one, though. If you want a film that like is about journalism and how far it can take you and like the kind of ills of being a, 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 a journalist and, and something that does like almost look like something that is lost from that era... All you got to do is look at David Fincher's Zodiac, right? Mm. And I think what's great about that is, mm-hmm. is it is a film that it doesn't have to have all these extenuating stuff surrounding it that this film has about like arms dealers and stuff like that. It is just about men, like journalists, like just really getting lost in their job, which is just as fascinating i think this story is just as fascinating of a woman getting lost in her job and trying to like pound the pavement without all the kind of yeah the add-on stuff of like she she is the story now yeah i i think you sort of sort of called it quite perfectly there petros is like you know nothing to say that historical events can't be recovered in film absolutely not but i think one and forgive me for as patronizing as this may sound Assume that not all of your audience are familiar with US Central American politics of the mid eighties. <laughs> That's my and specialist so- subject on Mastermind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, if you ask me twenty questions, they're all getting a big fat pass. Darren Edge, twenty passes, a worst score ever. Sometimes, films just don't have to be this complicated. They really don't. It just feels like just a lot was lost. In the immortal words of Avril Lavigne, why you got to go and make things so complicated? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> why do we not bring up Avril Lavigne more on the podcast? Got to start, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got to start somewhere. There's there's a note for future episodes. <laughs> Drop one Lavigne reference per season. That's our <laughs> quota now. Can I ask something as well? Sure. Where where did this budget go? What has it been spent on? It's Ben Affleck's Dunkin' Donuts budget, I think. Because <laughs> this is not. This doesn't look like a hundred million dollar film. I just think Netflix just—they make it up, right? Surely they—they they make it up. But but I think one of the things as well is they just have to pay everything up front, mm. so they end up like. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no back-end deals with anyone, yeah. so there's no, like, oh, you get points on how well this does and stuff like that, so they just throw money. But th- this is insane. $100 million. It barely looks like it costs $25 million. Oh. Apart from, like, the talent on screen. The talent, you yeah, okay, yeah, that's, 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 that's big money talent, but then it's like, yeah. But why does the film look like this? Like that scene of uh, Anne Hathaway falling when she's been shot. I was like, "What the fuck is this? This is like, this <laughs> oh, is yeah, straight sorry. to vi- this I- is str- this is like straight to vi- like VOD dross." Do you know what I mean? This is like, yeah, like uh, 
cast cage in this and i'd have been like yeah this is this is like vengeance a love story or something <laughs> yeah and i mean you know bringing it up i think let's uh, let's talk about the ending because by this point you've committed about two hours to this film nothing makes sense <laughs> um and then ben affleck is suddenly a contract killer by this point uh jones and i'll say this is one of my favorite parts of the movie he gets a bit of he gets a few action scenes they're not you know john wick levels or anything but he leaps over um <laughs> barricades twice a man's got a good hurdle guy's got a good leap really enjoyed that enjoyed it both times <laughs> there's a bit where he like and halfway walks down the stairs and he like jumps off the stairs to land on top of the car just to get in the car and oh, it, it looks so but it looks so awkward because Anne Hathaway's just walking down the stairs next to him. <laughs> she was wearing sandals though. You can't I know, but around things in sandals. I know, but it's you maniac. <laughs> but it's it's just that him doing it such a like a and like, oh yeah, look at me, I'm doing my John Wick thing. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> it just feels two two different scenes. Like they're in two different movies at that point. <laughs> yeah. And and we and we find out with Jones, speaking of Jones, that he has been um, was a double agent for the French government, is it? He's with the, with the uh, the French has been investigating sort of the Central American goings on as well. I um, see. Uh, treat a shot L twice. Um, she sort of falls and he goes back and sort of paints it that um, you know, oh, thinks she knew she was cornered and says, oh, a disgraced journalist, but. On the French side of things, um, Jones is like, oh, we got all this sort of information and we know this, that, and that now. And then Rosie uh, Perez sort of takes over the story. Um, and then Anne Hathaway falls into the ocean in what I've seen described as one of the goofiest climaxes in cinema. Mm-hmm. And, oh boy, is it. <laughs> I mean, even on the second view, and I was like, oh, fuck, this is not great and, and you know that thing of like people fall into their death and then narrating she's narrating the thing that she narrated at the start i was like look i didn't think you were that hard-boiled at the start i didn't think you were that hard-boiled at the end i want jones to jump over some more shit and then the credits happen right did 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 any did anyone like the absolute goof troop um you know your best friend's mickey mouse that goofy goofy ending i didn't like it it, it reminded me of is it cruella where that they feel it feels like loads of people fall off a cliff in that one as well when it's just like yeah weird, weird, weirdly <laughs> shot it's weirdly framed so she's very far away and i have to like see way too much of this clearly fake water beneath her <laughs> i don't feel like you know, in t- technology's come up, up you know, leaps and bounds, and since 2020, you know, it continues to to uh, evolve and, and and escalate and become this um, sort of rampaging beast, especially with AI now and ChatGPT and all of that stuff. I still don't feel like though cinema has really perfected the art of person falling off cliff. <laughs> I, t- I don't. I don't know. I I think it's a modern phenomenon where people have this like accepting it face where they're just kind of motionless like if you look back to die hard what 1987 like alan rickman falling off of nakatomi plaza looks great still looks great you're like that's a man falling off of nakatomi plaza you kind of see what people do now and they do this like you were saying with cruella as well it's like this kind of like 
blank faced like no 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 kind of fear no body movement just kind of like can you lay down on the floor and we're just going to put like uh, we're going <laughs> to film you your legs up. a bit yeah like yeah not even do that just kind of go oh i accept my fate and as i fall to my death it's like if i was falling off a fucking cliff i'd be like all over the gaff do you know what? <laughs> I'm just saying, look, if, if we let Tom Cruise take control of all stunts in the for now on... I could just fling him off a cliff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we deal with the consequences later. Yeah, I think in, instead of like the little arm movement, which looks like you, you, you're, you're just gently trying to reach for cereal on the top shelf of your cupboard, um, if we actually start throwing cunts off of cliffs... <laughs> But then it can make, <laughs> we can make it a competition then of like who gets yeeted the furthest, the hardest. Yes. You know, you got a whole genre going on there. And I'm telling you now, if you, you know, if you're setting up a competition, Tom Cruise is going to show you how far he can be <laughs> yeeted. I reckon you just need some method actors as well to. To, to to go out and be like, yeah, my, my character falls falls off a cliff in this one. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it out. Fingers crossed. This, this is the way we get rid of Jared Leto. <laughs> <laughs> Can we, as a podcast sponsor, the first ever Tom Cruise annual Cliff Yeetathon Olympics? <laughs> um, get in to throw you Red Bull. They're all over that kind of shit. They yeah. love jumping yeah. off stuff. I, I fucking love it. I, I just want a video that is kind of like a, a, a five to ten minute featurette in the in the IMAX that is uh, <laughs> Tom Cruise, Christopher McQuarrie, Daryl Edge, and Petros Patsilvas. Welcome to the Tom Cruise annual Yeet Off, <laughs> sponsored by Getting to Fill You. <laughs> it's time. I don't know why I speak like an old like New York reporter, but you know. It's time to get yeeted and treated, folks. Uh, sponsored by Red Bull. They're going to give you wings, except for that guy who died. Now, let's go to our first entrant this week. Um, I think I think this is the future that we are that we are coming to. This is, you know, when, when the Central American conflicts of the 80s kicked off, this is what they really wanted. <laughs> they just wanted some people to three thrown off a cliff. Um, Ronald Reagan would have been re-elected on this policy. <laughs> yeah, that, do you know what? In in in, in twenty nine years, in, in, in thirty nine years time, do you know? Do you know what we really want is for three blokes on a podcast to be talking about people being thrown off a cliffs. This is this is what the left really wants, <laughs> right? Are you listening, Thatcher? Are you listening, Thatcher? This is what we really want. You listening, Reagan? You listening? <laughs> I am not a crook. I just love yeeting cunts. A Reagan impression still in? Is that is that still? Yeah, that's yeah, not that's a hack, a... is it? That's not a hack, is it? Nah, of course not. Yeah, yeah, fucking smashing it, absolutely <laughs> smashing it. Uh, well, I certainly think on that. Wasn't that a Richard Nixon quote? Yeah, you I was... did anyway. You <laughs> shut your damn mouths, all right? <laughs> you shut your heinous. You're going off the cliff first, person level. <laughs> <laughs> I don't fucking know. <laughs> I like how me and Sean just like sold yeah. you down the river my, for a my second. My brain there. was processing it and I was like, 
Wait a second. <laughs> we just yeeted you off a cliff there, Daryl. You yeeted me, yeeted me off a metaphorical <laughs> cliff, you absolute snakes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on that hot, hot political bombshell, uh, I think it's time to start wrapping up on this week's episode of The Last Thing He Wanted. So, some important bits of business to attend to. The first of these we have to ask ourselves uh, is Willem Dafoe, does he do deface in this one? Uh, so, Sean, to pass it to you first, Willem Dafoe, in the screen time we get, does Willem do deface? This is, this is questionable because if it... If we're going to count DeFace, the problem is is that he's got Alzheimer's while doing DeFace, and it feels weird to say that he's done DeFace with Alzheimer's. Mm. <laughs> That's like the only time he, I feel like he gets to DeFace. Mm, so we've got a, you know, a technical like, DeFace, but we don't yeah. feel good about it. I'm not, I'm not sure, feeling no. great about it. You know, it, it's it's feeling like I'd get cancelled possibly by it. <laughs> Well, if I've not been cancelled by American listeners already, so you're in good company. Um, Petra, same question. Is there a face for you in this one? I reckon we get a little bit... I, I really love that stuff. and I don't think we talked about it enough on this. I think Defoe's doing the best of, with what he's got in this. Hmm. And, he, like, yeah, he may have... I don't Alzheimer's uh, or dementia or whatever. When yeah. when you like kind of see him in the see him in the hospital, but there's that there's that great moment. I think he pulls a face in this, and you don't feel like as bad for saying it because it's when he does that speech about the presidents when the doctor's trying to like, oh, what what year is it? And he kind of goes like he kind of lists off all, all the different presidents, and he's like, and Ronald Reagan, and the guy's like, well, you win the first prize, and his response is first prize. First prize is when you leave. And he's kind of like, uh, yeah, I think he's pulling faces all over the place. Even when you first see him, he's sunglasses on, but he's still kind of like gurning and chewing the scenery up. Do you know what I mean? Like playing a real fucking asshole as well, kind of using, using very period appropriate derogatory terms for people and like uh, complaining about cereal in a bar. Something I'd, I'd, I don't feel like we've talked enough about, which is a... You ever, you ever you ever been in a bar and they are just shred dry shreddies on the bar? No. <laughs> I mean, it depends if you've been one of those cereal cafes. You know that that's the uh, the decider. I have not, thankfully. I would not subject oh, yeah, myself but... to like five pound cereal. <laughs> yeah, not cool enough for that. But um, does he do deface? Do you know what? I'd feel like I'd be clutching at straws if I I I, I said he was. So I'm going to say no. Nothing. Nothing that clear, I would say. Yeah, I I, I see it from both both perspectives here. Like it's mm, maybe some if you squint hard enough technical ones, but I think I agree. I don't outside of him flicking cereal. Um, I don't know if there's just enough here to sort of justify a face from me. Uh, but with that said, our most important rating of the episode coming up now. And given the conversation, I, I I can probably predict where a few of these are going to go. But when we wrap up on these films, we don't just give it your old thumbs up or thumbs down. No siree, no howdy. We give it a friend or a foe and some of our final thoughts on the film. So, Sean, the floor is yours. 
is it defriend or defoe on the last thing he wanted it's it's a defoe uh i i am sorry <laughs> um mostly for myself in this case um <laughs> i it I don't know why I thought this was uh, going to be enjoyable. Like I got about like twenty minutes in, and I was like, "Ooh, this is this is a rough this is a rough watch already." And um, it really went downhill from there. <laughs> you thought I could cancel the recording spot at any time, <laughs> any time? Um, no, absolutely fair takeaway there. Um, of course, Petros, we come to you, to friend or to foe. What are you saying? And despite all of the things I've said throughout this episode, and this might come as a surprise to a lot of you, it's a big fat stinking Defoe, baby! <laughs> <laughs> Trick me like that, will you? Yeah, well, it's like, all, all the stuff we've kind of said with this, it, it does feel like it is an adaptation that is missing loads of vital details for the for the plotting of it. And, and, and like... Tomorrow you're gone. I think I'm going to be suckered in to buying the book of this, or at least like listening to the audio book. I've got a couple of credits on my Audible account, and I think, um, and I, I think one of them is going to go on the the last thing he wanted audio book, and I hate myself for that. I've been tricked again by this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of become a running theme of this season on more than one occasion. Um, that we've been so baffled by some of these films that we've been forced into buying the books. So in some ways, uh, the real winner here is is the endeavour of the author. Um, <laughs> you know, God bless the creative pursuits. So I think there's maybe like four or five books we're having to buy at this, at this point just because we're determined to make sense out of the senseless. Um, but Hey Ho comes with the territory of being a film podcast, baby. Uh, I mean, that said... And with that said, I think, uh, in a surprise probably to no one, this is going to be three for three on the Defoes. You know, this season so far, we've had some, um, maybe challenging isn't the the right term, but some uh, head scratchers in some of the films that we've covered. I don't think there's going to be a bigger head scratcher than this one. You know, heaven forbid season two and beyond. Be kinder to your boys, but... This has been one of the most indecipherable, baffling, weird, overly complicated, goofy films that involved Willem Dafoe flicking almonds at people and businessmen. Um, so, I mean, with all that in mind, I think, yeah, it has to be a, a Dafoe from, a, from us as well. So three for three on the Dafoes. So with that said... Uh, it is time to uh, close the door on the last thing he wanted. Let's put the landmines down. No more dogs need to blow up today. So uh, it is left for us to say, uh, Sean Alexander, thank you once again for taking the time to talk to us about the last thing he wanted. We very much appreciate you coming on board. And uh, now the floor is yours for the listener. Uh, where can we find you and your podcast on the interwebs, the socials, and all that good business as well? 
So the best place to find me is on your usual social medias, uh, Twitter while it still exists, slash might not exist. Uh, find me at AvatarPod on most places. But if you search up Sivako, uh, the Avatar podcast, you should be able to find me. Uh, I'm going through a nice rebranding at the moment. So it's all exciting, jazzy and new. <laughs> um, nice. And yeah, you, you can expect some new episodes come in there every other week nowadays. Uh, just to, you know, I've got there's an extra year now until the next film. I'm I'm tired. I can't do a weekly thing for the, for two and a half years. It's a it's, there's not <laughs> enough Avatar to, to to talk about. How do you feel that you have to like you you know your podcast is still hopefully still going to be going in 2031? Like. <laughs> if if I'm still going by 2031, I better be like having like my own like tv show that's avatar on a <laughs> specific avatar channel on disney plus by this point that's a lot of time in my dedicated to this franchise please reward me <laughs> i think the way both our podcasts are going we'll see you in uh we'll see you in 2031 <laughs> um but there we go there's another episode in the can so it is time for us to wrap up and it left for us to say i've been daryl i've been petros and i've been sean and we've been getting to foe you episode eight in the bag the hotel has been checked out of uh good riddance to it see you later you ain't no hound dog a uh, hound dog apparently <laughs> the, the, the dog that you are is an exploding dog with a bomb in its mouth, for better or worse. Um, but yeah, um, not not my favourite film this season. I think we'll put it that way. And hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> I I don't have to watch this for a third time because I might throw myself onto that same bomb that the dog did as oh. well. What a what a kind of yeah what a place we find ourselves in. With, 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 well, we know, we, we know what is coming. So we know that it's all uphill from here on out, ladies and gentlemen. We've got an absolute oh, yes. humdinger of an episode next week where we're joined by the fantastic David Trumbull, a man who knows everything there is to know about animation. And if there's anything David doesn't know, it is not worth knowing. He joins us to talk about the 2003. Pixar animation Finding Nemo and it's a delightful conversation that is both informative educational which is the same as informative emotional <laughs> it's kind of it's 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 a, it's a real it's a real kind of smorgasbord it's our, our longest episode to date and um yeah it was 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 great it was great fun to sit down and talk to David yeah, a great episodes that we've uh, got coming up for you. You know, if you if you follow us on the socials already, then you've already seen what's coming up for the entire season. But our our two header to bring us out of season one, it's uh, you know it's an absolute uh, it's a head spin. Very happy. It's a humdinger, but we're very happy with how it's turned out. And speaking of the socials, obviously we plugged them at the top. We'll plug them again just so you don't forget. But Petros. If the listener on this Defoe Motion train feels so inclined, where can they find us? Well, you can always be a friend of the show 
and find us at Defoe Pod on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Freds. Or you can drop us an email at defoeupod at gmail.com. And as I said in the intro, and I'll say it to you again here, dear listener, please drop us your questions. We would like to do a mailbag episode, and we cannot do that without your input. So please, please, please drop us an email, which is defoeupod at gmail.com. Do the header as something like mailbag question, something nice and easy breezy like that and whilst we've got your attention whilst you're tapping away on your keyboards on your phones please head on over to apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you're listening to this right now and leave us a five star rating and review all of your reviews are like the coal being pumped into the engine of this defocomotion train to help this train better faster and bigger and into the into more stations of people's ears so hop aboard get involved and spread the word of getting defoe harder better faster stronger just the way daft punk intended and as ever we would be remiss not to head out on this episode without thanking matt for editing the episode as per usual uh thank you for being the most premier in of editing um, <laughs> masters and making us, um, you know, again, sound coherent, making us sound like we've had the most fluid conversation known to man, the most fluid conversation, putting you as the, the best Western hotel in editor. I've run out of, I've immediately run out of hotels, um, but the point stands, he is the backbone of this operation and we are infinitely thankful for what he does for us Um on this on this uh, maiden voyage podcast of ours about Willem Dafoe. Yeah, he is the like like the last thing you want. It is the Toby Jones to kind of come in at the last moment and give us a last bit of like, whoa, there's something great about this film. Do you know what I mean? Like you kind of get excited. Uh, that's what Matt is doing here. He's kind of coming in yes. at the last moment, kind of giving a bit of razzle dazzle, razzmatazz to kind of make us not sound like the idiots that we are. And oh boy, are we silly geese but on that uh, on that note on that bombshell we wrap things up by saying thank you dear listener for listening we will see you next week as we continue to cover all the highs all the lows and all things Willem Dafoe right here on Getting Dafoe You a dedicated Dafoe podcast so until then until then bye 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 Getting to know you, getting to know all about Willem. Getting to like you by watching all your films. Getting to know you, we'll start with Heaven's Gate. And we'll watch them all till the present day.